love the way God orchestrates without anybody comparing notes beforehand. <laughs> like Warren and Michelle selecting the music. and Even with the people that are here, I'm, I'm just blown away by the way that the Holy Spirit leads and guides and directs us week after week after week. And we comment about it like every week, but every time it's fresh, every time it's different. You know, that, that first song, I, I, was just, I was just weeping in the back corner over there, just knowing that God's got this, that the Holy Spirit is truly moving in our midst. And just look around you, people smiling faces, young, old, children, little child says, wow, you know, what can we say, you know? It is just beautiful the way God is building his church. And when Andrew asked me to share, I wasn't sure whether he wanted me to share this week or next week. And so on Wednesday, just before the prayer meeting, I asked him, I said, Andrew, did you want me to share this Sunday or next week or when? He said, no, this Sunday. And I sat down in, the, in my corner chair over there in the prayer meeting and within 30 seconds, God had dropped the opening scripture into my spirit. So I want to share that first scripture with you and then see where God takes us. Because since that time on Wednesday, anybody who see, will see my book will see I write a lot. When I'm preparing a sermon, message, preach, whatever you want to call it, God speaks to me and I write things. Now I say God speaks to me. To some people that would sound strange. Who do you think you are that God speaks to you? But we have to start believing this. It's by faith that we receive from the Lord. So who would say that God speaks to them? Put your hand up. You look around you. You're not alone. The devil would like to say, you're the only one in this corner. You're the only one who's like this. Who do you think you are kind of thing? But hang on. There's a lot of people here who actually acknowledge that God speaks to them. So I want to read the first scripture that God gave to me. And he just said, Amos. That was the word I heard, Amos. And then I immediately knew it's Amos 3. So let's turn to Amos 3. It's a well-known scripture. I'm sure probably some of you got it underlined in your Bibles already or highlighted or whatever you do. Amos 3 verse 7 says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Now, that is an amazing scripture. It's like God does nothing until he's told his prophets what he's going to do in advance. Does God speak to you that way, Barry? Yes, I saw the little nod of the head there. Does God speak to you that way, Warren? And you've just stood up and you said basically a year ago your life was in a difficult place. And in the year, God's turned it around. So I'm telling you today, there are prophets in our midst. Now, it's not easy to say... Uh, if, you put, if, if I said to you, put your hand up if you think you're a prophet, not so many will put your hands up. And I accept that. I understand that. I would even be nervous to put my hand up. But I think actually sometimes and in some situations and in some churches and in some places, God has used me as a prophet. 
God is still using me as a prophet, maybe. And that's what I just want to say to you today. Don't be surprised when God starts placing gifts and anointings upon your life that you never asked for. In fact, some of the real, I would say the real deep ones that God gives you are almost like the ones you can try and run away from, but you cannot get away from. So let me say this scripture again to you. Surely the Lord does nothing except he reveals his plan to his servants, the prophets. And I really believe that this church, this body, small and few as we are at this stage, God is using us in a mighty way. And there are people sitting here I know are nation changers. I've asked God about it and I've said that person. I'm not going to put, call you out and say you need to step up to your calling. But there are people sitting here right now who are called to change nations. And it may not only be South Africa. I think some of you may go elsewhere. And if you have a heart to travel and God wants to send you somewhere, God wants to use you in a way, allow his training to take you deep. It's not the froth on the top. It's not the noise and the big stuff that you will get away with. The stuff that will make room for you, that will make a way for you, is the stuff that you do in deep, in secret, in quiet with the Lord. I think I've got some people's attention here. You don't hear messages like this very often. I know, because I've sat in churches for 40 years. I don't hear people talking these kind of messages very often. You do sometimes. You do sometimes. And I treat it as an absolute honor and a privilege to share this message with you today. In my son's church, in my house that we bought, in fact, my wife's house, we bought it in her name, by the way. That's why I say it's her house. So I'm not responsible, I just pay some of the bills. <laughs> but God has blessed us. God has blessed me ever since I came to South Africa in 1975. So in a way, this is partly my testimony in the way God has trained and developed us. Some of you may know, I met my wife within six months of arriving in South Africa. I proposed to her after seven days. And she said no. <laughs> because I, I wasn't a Christian. So she believed and so her friends reminded her I hadn't grown up and I wasn't born again. I grew up in England. I grew up in a Methodist church which is very formal, etc. But here in this country, I couldn't claim to be born again because I didn't even know what that word meant. So how can I say I'm born again if I don't even know what it means? So I said, and she said no. But later, she took me to a Methodist home cell. And in one prayer meeting, I met the Lord in the garden. And then when I went back in, I said, they, they, they actually said to me, what happened to you? So obviously they saw something different. I don't know what. And I said, I think I met the Lord in the garden. So from then onwards, I've been born again. I've given that testimony that I was born again in the middle of 1975. So 42 years I've known and walked with the Lord. That's a long time. Older than some of you are who are sitting here. I know that. But what I'm trying to say to you today is God is developing and training 
and has his hand on every single one of your life. And the more you accept or own up to that, the more he's able to do in your life. You want to you wanna get challenged by the Lord? Go on a mission. Go like Patrick. Go to Malawi next week. Go wherever the Lord sends you. If I have an opportunity to go, you get invited and it feels a bit strange. Pray about it. Maybe you should go. Or maybe you should stay. But I'm saying you've got to get to learn to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And the Holy Spirit will make sure you can hear it. So let me, let me get to a couple of the scriptures I wanted to share with you after that Amos 3. Do you like the way I highlight my book? I, I learned this from my wife. She takes highlighter and highlights my Bibles behind my back when she can't find her Bible. And she <laughs> goes through my Bible highlighting the scriptures that she likes. Yeah, it's funny, eh? She does that. So I know where my wife is studying because she's highlighted my book. I didn't highlight that. I haven't got that color, <laughs> etc. I want to read just because the next, what I really want to talk to you about is Revelation. Not the book of Revelation, but the principle of Revelation. What I said, Amos 3.7, I'm not focusing so much on the fact that God says he waits until he talks to the prophets, but he says he reveals it to his prophets. But there are many scriptures that said God hides things and God does things in secret. So why does he reveal sometimes and why does he hide things sometimes? He wants you to press in. He wants you to dig in. He wants you to get alone with him. He wants you to spend time with him. He wants to spend time with you. <laughs> That's when it really gets interesting. I guarantee you, if you go on a sabbatical or you go on a, a retreat like Amy has recently, I guarantee you she's heard things from the Lord that she probably hasn't even dared to share yet. She got written in her journal, written somewhere in her heart, in her spirit, that God speaks to you in secret. And sometimes they get made manifest. And sometimes you blurt them out yourself. But often other people will come up to you and say, the Lord wants to do this in your life. And you think, I was praying that the other day, but how does he know it? You know, out of all the scriptures, out of the, all 66 books of the Bible, he comes up with that one today when he spoke to me last night. Now, that kind of confirmation is what God is very good at doing and is absolutely a blessing. But let's, let's just understand the word revelation, the word revelation. I want to read the first couple of verses of, Reve of the book of Revelation. So turn to Revelation 1. Because these three or four verses are absolute setting the tone for the whole of the book of Revelation. And all the wonderful weird things that are described later on. But listen to what it says at the beginning. John was a seasoned apostle, let's say. And he was in... Isolation. He was in the sabbatical, <laughs> which however you want to look at it, he was on a retreat on the island of Patmos and the God says to him, or shows him a revelation. He says, the book starts, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, gave to John, to show his servants that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies of everything he saw, that is, 
the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. What was that song talking about? The word of God. It's talking about the word. Jesus is the word. We know this. I'm not teaching you anything new, but I want you to understand the value and the power that goes behind that statement. And it doesn't change. What was that song singing about? God never changes. Michelle was praying. God never changes. It's constant. God's constant. The world is telling you, you need to change your culture because cultures change. But God never changes. So there's a conflict immediately between what the world, what, what business, what everything will... No, it's a new, new day. It's a new environment. Hang on. The word is timeless or eternal. Either way, whichever way you look, it doesn't change. It's not going to change for me because I don't like it sometimes because it puts a finger on things that I'm doing that are wrong, or it highlights my motives, which are not always pure, as anybody would like to think they're always pure. They're not. We look at things that we shouldn't look at. We do things we shouldn't have done. Even as soon as we've done it, we think, why did we do that? Am I preaching to anybody here who knows what I'm saying here? All right? Okay, why did we do that? Because of the temptations and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. What does it talk about? Those are the key challenges that we face as Christians. Oh my Lord, I'm getting off. But I can see that the Lord is really in this place and he wants to bless you people. He wants to fill you with his joy and his wisdom, but his word. Get the word in your spirit then you will be able to discern. And you can be a prophet in a group of your family. You can be a prophet in a group of your friends when you go for dinner. You don't have to always be a prophet speaking to millions. Yeah. I, I, I haven't spoken to millions. Not that I know of anyway. But a couple of things I've shared have been copied <laughs> and sent to others. Yes. So I probably some of the messages over the years have been shared with people. I don't even know who. But what I'm saying to you today is here in Revelation, it says the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Then it says, blessed is the one who reads the word of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Now that was written over 2000 years ago. So time is near, <laughs> but in eternal timing, of course it's near because it, eternal eternity plus 2000 years is still eternity. It's not longer. It's still eternity. Now, our minds can't understand that. We can't get our heads around that. But our hearts grasp it and say, that's true. That's the truth. The word speaks about the things that are. And this, this, this is a key here. I saw this when I read this yesterday. It says, when it says, write the things that are. The things that were and the things that are to be. But he's always dealing firstly with now. It says Jesus who is and who was and who is to come. Interesting. Why doesn't he say Jesus who was and is and is to come? Because I've heard pe people say it that way, but that's not the way the word says it. Read your Bible. There's a revelation there that God wants to give you that Jesus is. He says, I am, is his name. I am. So he's always I am. 
Because whenever you say it or read it, it's now. It's valid now. And who was and who is to come. So it's past, sorry, it's present, past and future, all in one. And those are eternal truths. So the word revelation, God, if you spend time with God, God will give you revelation. And you will, in a way, understand the prophetic. And we often, um, I hope I don't tread on toes when I say this, but we often wrestle where are we going? What are we doing next year? Where, what's the church going to be like next year? What am, where am I going to be living next week, next month, next year? The Bible, Ecclesiastes, read it. It says, sufficient today is today. So, such that sufficient for the, the concern is for today. Live in the today. Live in the joy that you have now. Live in the the life that you have now at your feet. Don't worry about the future. You know, Andrew has been speaking, or we, the, the whole season we spoke about was the Sermon on the Mount. And a large portion of the Sermon on the Mount is how to live now. How to live in the present. How to live in a different culture. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go slightly off track, and I'm sure you're not going to understand why I read this now. There's... There's an old teaching called the didache, didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E. It's a Greek word. Any of you studied Greek? It's a book. It was the teaching of the, the apostles that they got from Jesus. It's almost pa a parallel to the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about how then shall we live? Because of all these things, because of what Christ showed us and his life and then he was crucified and raised from the dead. You basically, many people are wrestled with this thing. How shall we live because of all this? And what I want to read to you is the first two points of the didak, which is literally teaching. 1.1, it's like beginning 101, right? 1.1 says there are two paths. There are two paths in life. One leads to life and one leads to death. You choose. Every day we are faced with choices. We are faced with choices of whether we're going to do and obey and follow the path of life or are we, what are we doing leading to death. 1.2, the second point says, when you follow the path of life, you, the principle is love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, and don't do the things to others that you don't want them to do to you. Now, those three little principles, right at the beginning of it, basically summarize the greatest commandment, the love for God, the path of life, etc. You just, just those things, three things alone, you will almost have wisdom as to how to choose every day. Whether you choose to start a new job, whether you choose to go to Cape Town or whatever, or you want to go on holiday to Durban, or you're like Rajesh, you want to trust your business to move into India or Nigeria or wherever, you know? You're trusting God to open up new things, to, to take you into a new area. And I guarantee you, you all are facing choices every day. Shall I do this or shall I not do this? Shall I go shopping today for a new dress? And shall I try this one on? Or maybe it's a bit short. Uh, I, 
whatever, ladies, I don't know. I don't go shopping for dresses myself. But you understand what I'm saying? You, every day we have choices which on the face of it may seem insignificant. But they can lead to either life or death. So that is the principle that they said right at the beginning, the apostles' teaching. So Jesus spoke a lot, as we know, Sermon on the Mount, there's a whole bunch of scriptures there. But effectively, what he was saying, you have to learn to build your house on the word, build on the rock, not on the sand. You build on things that are fixed, firm and solid. Anybody who's built a house knows you have to put a foundation down. And your life, what foundation is your life built on? What foundation, Ethel, what foundation is your life built on? And if you can honestly and truthfully say it's built on the rock of the word Jesus Christ, you almost like you need to declare it. You need to say, this is the standard which I'm going to hold for my life. My, this doesn't change. This Bible I've had a long time. You see, it's even been recovered. My wife had it covered with a nice leather cover. But this Bible, and I've got a lot of Bibles upstairs. This Bible is very precious to me because, as you say, it's a, it's a topical study Bible. It's not valuable in anything. It's probably only a hundred or maybe a thousand rand Bible, I don't know, whatever you say. But in terms of the value of the word in this thing that is becoming planted in here, I don't need this anymore after a while because I know enough to live it to be honestly and truthfully not perfect, but following the way of the word and building on the rock, which is not blown around with every wind and doctrine. So men, if you get accused of being stubborn, there's a good scripture to quote. You're not blown around by every wind of doctrine. You're fixed, you're firm, you're fast. You know, you can't one day do this and maybe this next week. No, the word will hold you like a rudder or an anchor, or he says, whichever way it will hold you solid against every wind of doctrine or every confusing or misleading, looking good kind of thing. I'm saying the cultures of the world will try and trip you up regularly. Business culture is always changing. You've got to do this, and we've got to be nimble, and we've got to do this, and is that really the right way of doing the marketing? I tell you now. With regard to the word of God, this doesn't change. Our understanding of it does, and we grow, and others bring fresh revelation maybe, yes. So you'll still look at the same scripture, and in a year's time you look at it and you see something different that you didn't see the year before. Because revelation is unfolding. God wants to reveal his plan in and through you and me and our brothers and sisters. And if we will allow and make room for one another, showing, as I said, the love for God, first and foremost, but loving our neighbors as ourselves, and not doing to others what we don't want people to do to us, we won't end up being like the Pharisees where Jesus had to speak to them in Matthew 23, you hypocrites, woe unto you, hypocrites, woe unto you, Pharisees, woe unto you, you hypocrites, because you, you do this, but you don't do it yourself. You put these expectations on other people, but you don't do them yourself. That's hypocritical, isn't it?
I'm not going to speak much more because I really want to just highlight an unusual thing God showed me. You know, we, we become, who's been in business and you've heard this phrase, you must become risk averse. <laughs> once, in, once in prayer, God said to me, what is risk? In, the, in Christian circles, it can be taking him at his word. And you may have to risk something that you're not doing already. But he said to me, okay, just look at the letters R, I, S, K. And then he shared something with me, which I wrote down. Got it in my journal. I wrote it down on the 7th of May this year, when I was preparing to go to a men's camp. And God said to me, don't be so scared of risk, because risk is just royal inhabitants of spiritual kingdoms. And I thought, oh, that's a good version of risk. <laughs> Anybody who's been in business knows what I'm saying. Finance, business, administration. They're always, oh, we've got to be careful. We've got to be risky. But I tell you now, you won't grow with God very much until you start taking risks. You start loving people who probably can't love you back. You start giving to people who in no way will give you back. Who... <sighs> I've been, I, I, I'm not going to claim to be a, a giver, but I've been generous at times in my life to people that I know probably can't give us back to me. And sometimes you have a false expectation that I blessed that person with something, but they've never given back to me. And I, that's actually a weird principle. I found it doesn't work. The people that you bless don't give back to you. They hopefully bless others. But it's not the same people who return it to you. You don't get it back from, you get it back from God in other ways. Patrick, you know what I'm saying? I can see some nodding heads from the more mature people in here. The younger ones maybe haven't given as much yet because you've only been younger, saved, saved younger. The other thing about, <laughs> this is a bit of a sideline. On Wednesday, when we had the prayer meeting, there were 14 people in the prayer meeting. And we had an interesting thing that Andrew mentioned. We had a mixture of young and old. There were almost like a clear division between the younger generation, single, unmarried, newly married or whatever, and the olders who've been around quite a while. And there were seven of us on the one side and seven on the other side. Well, actually, six and six with Andrew and Michelle in the middle. And there were three men and three women in each camp. Three men and three women in the younger camp. And it was just incredible to me a picture of what God is doing in our midst. He is melting together the hearts of young and old in this place. And we are growing, I believe, as a mature body because we have both camps. We have the vibrancy and the, and the, uh, the energy of the younger people. Whereas we have the, maybe the maturity, hopefully, and the wisdom of some of the older people. And melting that together, I believe God is really going to take us to great places. So let me just finish with the, the scripture that I wrote down here at the end. John 17. John 17, verse 20. Am I over time or how am I doing? Okay. John 17 from verse 20. 
Now, if you've got a red Bible, one with words that Jesus spoke, Jesus prayed this, and he said, John 17, verse 20, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Interesting phrase, that, isn't it? Pray for them who will believe. In other words, future. He will pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be bought or brought to complete unity. To let the world know that you sent me. And I've loved them even as you have loved me. Uh, I'm going to finish with that verse. I pray for you right now. I pray for you and for me. I pray that we all, maybe just close your eyes a second. I pray that we all will hear and obey what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. That we will see God build new levels and new depths of understanding of revelation and unity in our midst. May the things that we see as strongholds in ourselves or in others, may we see them for what they are, opportunities for prayer, opportunities to submit, opportunities to forgive, opportunities to love one another as we would desire to be loved. So I pray for every single one here, Father, young and old, male, female, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us, that you would continue on the journey that you have started so well, that Andrew and Michelle and the other leaders would take this journey so well to take us all into the unity of the Spirit. And may the Holy Spirit have his way. May Holy Spirit come and fill us with love, joy and compassion. And may we live each day for today, we won't worry and get anxious about the future, but that we will put our hands and our lives in your trust, Lord God, and that we would trust you for everything that you have and are, and that you would fill us with love for one another in a new spirit of unity, even from today. And I trust, Lord, that you can take it deeper and more solid and more structure into our lives that we would love you with our whole hearts, our whole minds, our whole strength, and our spirits in Jesus' name. Amen. I bless you today. My dad started speaking about hearing God's voice, and it was amazing to see like almost every hand go up, like, do you know how to hear from God? And then I was sitting there thinking, like, how many of those things that you've heard from God haven't come true? How many of those things have you, how many of those times where you wrestling with God, where it's, you know you've heard, and then you go through times where you really struggle to hear? And there's that incredible tension between the two. Um, and then he goes on to actually knowing God's word. And so you can hear his voice, but can you actually know his message to you? 
his word, his, his voice, what, is, what has actually been written down, what is God saying to you? Do you know that word? I, I often think about it, the, the only way we can have a shortcut in this life, like we, we're always looking for a shortcut, like how do we get a quick inheritance, how do we get a quick, like win the lotto and we've got a shortcut to, to finances, how do we, I believe the only shortcut we have is to actually study God's word. Because if you can study his word and you know God's nature and the way that he works in life, it is the only way that I think you can avoid the obstacles that cause us to have to, it's like, if you, if you don't want to learn, you have to like feel. As, that's the only way I think you can short circuit some of the processes that you, we end up going through because we do our own thing. And then I, I was... It's strange my dad mentioned the, the red letters um, because there's, there's a lot of concepts around that of the, the red letters in the Bible and there's sometimes debate whether you actually know which are the message, like the words of Jesus because there were no like quotation marks back in the original like Greek. Um, but in Matthew, the first, first like supposed red letters is him talking to John the Baptist saying, I actually have to be baptized first. Let it be so, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So there was something in Jesus that he, he actually had to get baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And I think there's something in, something in that. We've got the pool ready. So if somebody wants to get baptized to fulfill all righteousness, let's, let's, we can start there. But then the next time you hear Jesus talking red ladies, actually where he's resisting temptation. We spend 40 days and nights in the wilderness and the, Satan comes to him and says, like, actually turn these stones into bread. And he says, no. It's like man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And that's the only question I actually have because I've seen my dad live off of God's word for, I mean, I've seen him do it for nearly 40 years of my life. <laughs> nearly 40. Um, <laughs> and I'm aware of it for probably like 30-something. <laughs> but you can trust him that if you got nothing out of today, this is a man that's lived his life. And he had some years before, I mean, he shared the testimony of getting born again. Well, many years before of, of not walking with God. But he doesn't regret any choice he's made to actually submit to what God has shown him. For his family, for his marriage, for his kids. Not everything has come the way that he, he thought it would. We've had dreams, we've had words of, like, that God has shown us that it hasn't always worked out exactly how he thought it would. And it's going to be the same for you. There's going to be times where it's like, I'm convinced this is the way God's leading me. And then he's like, okay, now go that way. It's like, no, but you showed me there. And he's like, yeah, maybe that'll come later. And so my mom actually shared this word the one time with my brother to actually say, go, go to that hill. And you're following God and it's like, I'm, I'm going towards that hill. And then as you get to this T-junction on the way to that hill, he says, okay, now turn right. It's like, What? No, but the hill is that way. He's like, yes, but I had to show you that to get you here so that you will go that way now. And it's like, no, but you told me there. It's like, yes, but that was just a, 
it was a, a, like a, a marker on the journey. And the, the point is, actually, I want to journey with you. And God's inviting each and every one of you to journey with him and to partner with him. And we are not going to reimagine and reinvent church. We're going to rediscover everything that we can of church. Like, um, we're having a conversation. We, we, a lot of us come from various different churches. We've had it worked out in many different ways. And I'm not arrogant enough, hopefully, to, to think we're going to rediscover the perfect way of doing church. We often hear, it's like, we're just going to get back to the X church. And I'm like, you know, people have been saying that for 2,000 years. We're going to be the ones who find the way. And we're going to have this way of truth. And we're going to find the spirit and this way of working it out. Everybody's looking for that. And I believe God is doing something here that actually we're going to find Christ together. And we're going to learn how to actually disagree with each other well. Because the reality is my, my convictions, my faith, my understanding of like teaching of how all the Bible fits together is different even to my own family. And that's okay. Because they're wrong. And <laughs> The only way I can say that is N.T. Wright says the same thing. He's like one of the foremost like theologians and I disagree with him on stuff and it's like ridiculously arrogant of me to say that. But I have to believe what I believe at the moment as we journey together to find more truth. And he says, I'm convinced that at least 20% of my theology is wrong. I just don't know which 20%. And we need each other to find that. And by doing that, we can actually, we can have grace for each other. We can have grace for other churches. I grew up thinking every Catholic like, person was unsaved, like we had to go and save them. You know what? There's Catholic guys that absolutely love Jesus. And they are transformed. Their heart is transformed. They just believe differently in our outworking. Do we disagree on things? Absolutely. But the key is do we trust Jesus? Do we understand who the Father is? Can we share that with grace in what he's actually doing? And I don't care whether it's Catholic, Orthodox, it's Baptist or Presbyterian or Charismatic or whatever it is. We're going to find a way to actually love Christ and work it out together. I, you come from an in-here background or whether you love the Spirit or you're terrified of the Spirit. Whether it's like Father, Son and the Holy Bible or if it's a Father, Son and the Spirit. I'm trusting for God to lead us. Not my ideas, not our ideas, not my dad's ideas. God's going to lead each and every one of us. But I need each and every one of you to add what you've got. I was blown away by Warren's testimony yesterday that I heard. And I only heard like half of it. So I really need the, the final like end product of the story. I just got to the good point and then I had to leave. And I'm like, ah, oh, come on. I got a glimpse of how it ends, but there's a lot of like story of the journey in between. I just said it's the journey. No. So we're going to do communion here because that's the one thing that's been pretty consistent throughout church history. Is Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So this is our moment where we can actually engage with God. Not just with our ideas, not with our clever understanding. 
we do our best to understand. We do our best to find that shortcut. To understand God. To know Him. To know His ways. To know what He would say in a situation. To know the wisdom of God to lead us. But more than that, we need to encounter God and hear His voice. Because I know there's times where kids are sick and we've done everything we can to try and fix it. And they're still sick. Or our job situation. And we've done everything we can to bring a resolution. And nothing seems to work. Or our marriage. And we've done everything we can to resolve it. And there's no end in sight. Like sometimes the simple little answers and the church answers and the Christian answers, it's like Christianese, like it's one of my like allergies. Michelle is like allergic to gluten, I'm allergic to Christianese. <laughs> it's, it's like if you give me the standard answer, I, I sometimes just rubs me the wrong way because I know what that does to people that are, are struggling. I know that that neat little answer, it, it may be true, but sometimes it is the most hurtful thing that you can feel or you can experience. Ooh, one left. Seems like it was made for me. <laughs> Lord, I thank you that we, we get to do this in remembrance of what you have done. It is the cross that is the center of our lives. Give us a Christocentric lens, Lord, that all of our life would be shaped by what you are doing. Like when we put sunglasses on, it, it changes everything we see. Lord, let us put on a lens that we see everything through your Son. That we learn to place the heart of the Father at the center of our lives. That we would encounter every person we come into contact with. And we would just experience the love of the Father for them. Maybe we'll experience the love of the Father for ourselves for the first time today. Or in a new way today. And Lord, if you had to have the Spirit to operate. Where it says actually Jesus was filled with the Spirit. And that's how he, he, he did his ministry. How he was empowered for ministry. How much more do we need your Spirit, Lord? So I ask that you would fill us. You teach us to put the Trinity at the center of our lives. And we do this in remembrance of you, Jesus. That's why you came. Your body broken for us and your blood shed for us. Thank you that we can meet with you right now.